One of the things that happened at camp, I thought that was really beautiful for those of you who were there and for those who yeah. weren't there, was we had this, um, can I just be out of a fallback, so fill in them? Um, we had this, this beautiful moment of permission giving um, where um, many of our crew um, were able to step up into this like, amazing way of hearing God and ministering and praying for one another. And for me, that was one of the most special moments of the weekend. Um, was seeing just a bunch of our crew go, I think this is what God is saying, um, and I'm just going to step out in faith um, and risk looking a bit naive. Um, and I'm going to pray for somebody. And I think like we realised last week, we like, we desperately want that to be a part of our character as a church. And so this is me saying, and I probably need to say it a few more times, but this is me saying that if you hear God speaking here, if you think God is offering a scripture or a word, a word of knowledge or, or healing or something like that, then please um, come to us and let's actually like, let's get those words out there and let's begin to pray one another like the cool thing is we sometimes forget is that not only did Jesus um, go to the cross and rise again but also he left his Holy Spirit within us and so actually God is speaking within us and and to be honest like often when I think I've heard something from God it comes like a normal thought it doesn't come with being but the only way that you begin to know the voice of God is by stepping out and risking being foolish a few times um, and you guys will have seen this before, that I have given words here and stood here for two or three minutes while no one responds. Sometimes that happens, but this is a safe environment for us to do that in. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, one of the other things I talked about on the last morning of camp was Blueprint is a place where we love people back to life. And I think this, um, that was a, a thought that resonated with a number of people. And I think this, this talk tonight is going to um, continue that. In a lot of ways. So the um, verse in the lectionary tonight, uh, today, is this one, Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And, um, and here's what it says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Most of you are probably somewhat familiar with this verse. Jesus takes this moment and he says, if you were to take all of that law, all of the Torah stuff, all of the, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy stuff, and you were to boil it all down, and all the conversation that rabbis have had over the years of how we do this thing, if you were to boil it all down into a tweet, <laughs> it would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. This is quite, like, quite a powerful piece of scripture that Jesus boils it all down here. And some interesting things to begin with that. Jesus here is linking two old Jewish commandments. One from Deuteronomy 6.5, the other from Leviticus 19.8. And he's bringing these two together here. But he wasn't actually the only Jewish teacher to arrive at this conclusion. This was actually a really common thing that a whole lot of Judaic thought at the time had said, if we boil it all down, it comes down to do these two things. Love God, love your neighbour. And what I find really interesting about this passage is what ties these two commandments together. Love for God, 
love for neighbour. That love is the keystone or the fulcrum on which these two things hang. That if you're boiling down the entirety of what we believe, love is the central rock on which it all stands around. And it's not a tame love. It's a love that is with the mind, with the body, with the heart, with the soul, with all your strength. The point being, this love will require the investment of your whole person. It's not that you just turn up here on a Sunday or you have your little prayer time during the week and this love comes about. It's a thinking love. It's a feeling love. It's a physical love. It's a visceral love. It is an all of you love, a holistic love that is being talked about here. It is a giving away all of me love. So we have these two focuses here, love of God and love of neighbour. And within this, I think there's kind of four movements that I want to look at tonight. So the first of these is that we are called to love our neighbour. And two questions I think come out of this. Firstly, how do I love? Like, what does this love look like? And secondly, who is my neighbour? And with regard to who is my neighbour, Jesus actually makes this ultra clear. Like he actually, there's this interaction in Luke 10 where someone actually comes to him and says, who is my neighbour? Define for me who my neighbour is. Because all of us hope that when we're asked to go and serve our neighbour, our neighbour looks a lot like us and doesn't need too much from us and is kind of like pretty tidy and has it sorted. And so someone comes to him and it goes like this, Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So he's testing him on what are these commandments? What is the essence of what we believe? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, replied Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so this man comes to him looking to justify himself and says, please tell me that my neighbour is just like me and they are convenient and that they can carpool with me to work and it's going to be really easy. And Jesus responds with this picture of a Jewish man who has been beaten up, half dead on the side of the road, and along comes two priests, two people steeped in religion who walk right past him. Not only that, they cross to the other side of the road. 
And then who stops? A Samaritan. And if you look in John 4, the story of the woman at the well, there is this moment where Jesus asks her for a drink. And she says, how can you ask me for a drink? For you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. And we do not associate. You believe that we should worship on this mountain over here in Zion, but we believe that we should worship on this mountain here to the point where the Jews would walk for miles and miles around the outside of Samaria to not even set foot in the province. And so when it is asked, justify me, tell me that how I'm doing now is just fine, justify to me that my neighbour is convenient and easy and will fit into my current lifestyle, he says, well... It's going to have to cross the kinds of boundaries of cultures who hate one another. It is going to have to cross all the boundaries that you feel most uncomfortable with. Your neighbour is the person who it is hard to love. Your neighbour is different to you. Your neighbour may be your enemy. So who is your neighbour? First, it's someone different to you. Secondly, it's often someone half dead. See, we talk about Blueprint as a place that loves people back to life. Your neighbour is often someone spiritually, emotionally, economically or socially half dead. Someone different to you, maybe your enemy, who is half dead, who is vulnerable. When you ask, Lord, justify me that I already serve my neighbour, this is what he comes back to us. So number one, we are called to love our neighbour. Secondly, Loving our neighbour breaks us. Loving our neighbour breaks us. You see, love is defined no other way in the scriptures aside from personal cost. That is how love is defined. Our central story is of this Greek idea of kenosis, of God self-emptying himself in love. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love is defined as personal cost. N. Scott Peck, who's a Christian psychologist, says this. When we love someone, our love becomes demonstrable or real only through exertion, through the fact that for someone or for oneself, we take an extra step or we walk an extra mile. Love is not effortless. To the contrary, love is effortful. Love breaks us. Our neighbour breaks us. I remember a couple of years ago when we first moved into the Cuba community and we had a guy come and stay with us for a few days who was um, coming off opiates at the time. And he stayed in our upstairs room and there were these highest hopes we had that somehow by him living in our house everything could work out. And um, for the first couple of days it went okay and then the next day, it sort of started to fall apart a little. And then the day after that, there was graffiti turning up around the house. And then the day after that, plates and glassware were thrown at the walls. And, and he left. And we were just heartbroken. We had so much hope that the love of God that we knew could be transferred to this other person and that they could come and, and find restoration and wholeness, that we could love our neighbour back to life. And it all fell apart. I remember this was about six months into us moving in together. And we sat around this one Wednesday night. And we were kind of debriefing what had happened. And I watched one by one as all of us in the room started to weep a little bit. And it was like this this deep 
moment of a sense of powerlessness, that the best we had tried to bring was not good enough for this guy, and that all we could do was put him into God's care. The, the loving for the neighbour in that case did not end with the amazing story of some Christians going to the margins and transforming someone, but ended with the story of us being broken. Our neighbour breaks us, love breaks us. And this extending, self-emptying love breaks us as it broke Christ on the cross. So number one, we are called to love our neighbour. Number two, our neighbour breaks us. Number three, that brokenness returns us to our need for God. In the realisation of our own frailty, we are confronted with our need for God. Our whole heart, mind, body, soul, strength screams out, Lord, I am not enough. I thought I had enough. I thought we had this house that could fix it up. I thought I was loving enough. I thought I was compassionate enough. And when I looked upon my neighbour and realised that no one could heal him but Jesus, it broke me. And for the first time you realise, not only do I like God, but I need him. I am not enough. Our neighbour breaks us and our brokenness sends us back to the love of God. Our illusions come crumbling down, specifically our illusion that we are God, which many of us too often believe. See, our neighbour reveals our spiritual poverty. We may go to these places believing that we bring money or food or hospitality or whatever, but in reality, our neighbour reveals our spiritual poverty, that we are not nearly as compassionate, not nearly as good or as gracious as we thought we were. That we weren't the people we thought we were. And this leads us to a profound breaking down and a deep repentance which puts us back at the feet of God again. As Isaiah said in chapter 6, Before the throne of God, woe is me, I am undone. I remember um, a few years ago, um, many of you would have heard Elliot the other week share his poem about Susie's journey at the combined service. And uh, we journeyed with Susie for about three or four years, believing we were God um, and um, and learning that we weren't. And uh, I I can remember she had headed off down to Te Whare Mahana, um, to this rehabilitation place and um, I get this letter in the mail one day and I uh, open up this letter and Susie's letters are always so beautifully like decorated and everything like that you know and they always have something painted on the top of them so I was like oh nice a letter from Susie and I open it up and it's like I think it said like Scott Reeve I'm like well that's very formal <laughs> and then as I move down it it retraces all these moments where I missed the point. <laughs> and I get to this point, and she, she, I've checked with Susie that I could tell the story. She said, I think your friendship with me was performance-based. And at the moment I stopped getting well, you weren't interested. And it was like, oh. But it was a moment of breaking a moment of realising that my own illusions of being God had been shattered by my neighbour. And so I had to sit with that, and when you come to realise that that is true of yourself, your only response to that can be to get on your knees before God and say, woe is me, I am undone. I am who my neighbour has said I am. 
and I must repent. And so it is that journeying with our neighbour brings us to a deep breaking and a deep repentance to get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. My neighbour who I tried to serve instead served me, bringing me to the Father. So we are called to love our neighbour. Our neighbour breaks us. And our brokenness returns us to our need for God. That we would want to love him with our whole soul, our heart, our mind and our strength and our being. And so finally, number four, in our pain and in our repentance, God restores us. So repentance is how we are made whole. When we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I make a lousy God, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But I realise that you are good, that you are love, and that only by knowing your love can I ever truly love my neighbour. Help me to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul and my strength. Help me to empty myself and be filled with you. And it's often in those moments of like a profound, profound self-doubt and insecurity where these beautiful um, moments of God speaking in come. I remember the other week, uh, Rose and I, and it might have been Cindy, we were at um, our 3DM uh, training day, and we'd had all these elaborate plans. Every time you do one of these days, you have to write out like all these like KPIs for your church that you're going to achieve and things like that. And we're kind of going through them all, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And I'm just like feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm so incredibly useless at this. <laughs> And there was this beautiful moment where I'm like kind of walking away from the table. I think I was just walking to get a coffee. Kind of like, um, Connor, your story, the most normal kind of moment. And just this gracious word of God came and I just heard it really clearly. He's like, you know, you've never run a church before. Did you think you'd be good at this? (laughs) It was like this beautiful moment. He's like, why did you think you'd be good at this first time round? Nobody's good at anything first time round. And it's in that space of vulnerability and realising our lack that God speaks this word that says you're okay the way you are. You're actually okay. And it's okay that you're taking a while to get it. And I'm okay with it. And so we fall deeply into this love of God and he restores us in this place. And so these two... Thanks, mate. I'm not done yet. but um... And so these two greatest commandments invite us into a journey of becoming more like Jesus. We love our neighbour and we are broken. And so we go back to the love of God and we are restored and sent. And we love our neighbour and they break us. And so we go back to the love of God and we are restored and sent. And so we love our neighbour and so we are broken. And round and round it goes. And you know there are so many churches who think that we can have a holy huddle here on a Sunday and never go to our neighbour and think that we will have the entirety of a Christian discipleship but they don't get that it boiled down to two commandments and that our discipleship is only complete when we love our neighbour so they can break us so we are driven to our need to God so we are restored by him so we are sent to our neighbour again and again and we only have half a Jesus if we only get half of us Some of you might like it if I flick it like that. We love God. We are sent and restored. So we love our neighbour. So we are broken. So we love God. And round and round it goes. 
and invites us into this perpetual place where we are not just being discipled by people sitting, standing here at the front of the church, or we're not being discipled by our really onto it friends sitting next to us who will do prayer ministry with you later, but we are being discipled by our neighbour, whoever and wherever they may be, as they invite us into a profound undoing and through that, a rediscovery of the love of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And how much does that undo your saviour complex? Where you go to the developing world and think you're going to fix it, but instead you go, I am going so the developing world may disciple me because there is something that I am missing. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the picture we actually share in the Eucharist, which um, over the next few months we'll be working out more and more how it looks for Blueprint to embrace that. So like Christ, we are taken by God, we are blessed by him, we are broken, and we are given to a world that needs to know him. That we are taken, we are blessed, we are broken, and we are given to the world. That's a beautiful way to think about this little piece of bread and this little bit of juice. So why don't I, um, why don't I pray for us, eh? I'll pray and then I'll leave us with two minutes silence so that you can think on a a particular aspect of that that might speak to you tonight. And as we sit in silence too, I would ask you to hear what God may be saying to other people here tonight, whether they're scriptures or words or pictures, um, and, um, and to share that with us. Father, we give you thanks that when you, you boiled it down, it was to love you and love our neighbour, and that you cause us to love the person in front of us, and they cause us to love you more. We pray, Lord, that the part of this word which is meant to speak to the depths of our soul um, would, would find its home there. That we would not walk away unchanged tonight. And Lord, as we worship you, God, we pray that we would, um, that we would step into the, the full declaration of who you are. That you have made us like this, that we need one another to need you. Let's just wait on God.